0: Um, today I want to talk mostly about Mantanot Avionim and maybe a little bit about Mishlech Manot. Um, and we'll see. So last time, just as like a little recap, we talked about the um, the mitzvah of reading the Megillah. Rabbi Silver pointed out to me afterwards, which I think is true, right? We saw Rabbi Yashuv and they, So first of all, the mitzvah of reading the Megillah in the Megillah itself is sort of unclear, right? Like, is there a mitzvah to read the Megillah? Does the mitzvah record... A, does the Megillah just record a general sort of obligation or practice to remember Purim in some way. We see even in, in the Gemara there's some thought that well maybe at night you would read the Megillah but during the day you would read the Mishnayot of Megillah of Mesachah Purim. Meaning maybe it's not it's not totally obvious what the status of Purim as sort of like a kanon of the Megillah rather as like a canonical thing that you would read is, as opposed to just like the book that records the stuff that happened on Purim. Right? Um, and in some ways right, there's all other discussions about like, you know, does it have to be written on a scroll, is it written like the kind of parchment, whatever, that's sort of a way of elevating it, because as we saw there was a discussion as to whether it's even part of the canon. Um, but you know, the, the upshot is that it is part of the canon and there is a mitzvah to read it both during the day and at night. Um, we saw started Levi say this, right? There's a mitzvah to read it at night and to repeat it during the day. The pointed point that to me afterwards, which I should have noticed that, um, if you read the Mishnah it does not, there's no evidence in the Mishnah that the Mishnah is aware of a practice of reading the Megillah at night. Um, the Mishnah talks about all, You could read the Megillah on many different days, right? You could read it on the 13th, if you were certain on the 11th, if you live in a faraway city, right? It depends where you live and when people get together, anyways, right? It doesn't sound like It sounds like they're reading the Megillah at the time when they would normally be at like a market get together, not like at night, um, at all, um, not like twice. So this whole idea of reading it twice is already kind of un- not necessarily expected. Um, and then we saw the idea that there's no halal one perm. Why is there no halal one opinion? Is that the megillah itself is the halal? Um, is that just so. one opinion, or was it the consensus of the rabbis? Um, what I do think, you think that, that, that it's not today? obvious that it matters, right? I think it's definitely not the consensus that like you have to say halal if you don't hear the megillah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the megillah doesn't stand in for halal, right? Um, I'm not sure what the consensus is. What the other opinion is? I'm not sure, people often read it in sort of these like, well, if you say this, that, then if you say that, that. I'm not sure which way it always, I don't know if it always comes down one way, because I think ultimately it doesn't really have that much practical effect. Okay. Um, but it's just sort of something interesting to think about in terms of like, what is the function of this reading? Um, so that's sort of where we left that. I want to talk, so today I want to talk about Matanot da which we can start with some tsukim that we saw last time. In Esther nine, Esther nine is sort of like the aftermath. They have these battles. She says, "Can we have another day in Shushan?" Um, by the way, I mean we may see some evidence of this, but there, it seems to me from reading a lot of sort of the medieval, especially Ashkenazic texts, that they just had two days of Purim. Like they talk about the date on the two days of Purim. Um, I think they read the McGill and everything on the first day, but they didn't and they, like they did the mitzvahs on the first day or whatever, but they kind of saw it as like a two-day period, including Shushan Purim. so it sounds like. Where every day Yeah, meaning mm-hmm. like, not, you know, they, they didn't observe Shushan Purim with all the mitzvot of Purim, but they, it seems like it was sort of still a Purim-y day. I mean, it is kind of for us also, right? You often have like the school Purim carnival, right, then, because you are not have school on Purim itself. Um, That's so fine. So right, we have this whole discussion, right? When did they rest where, and you know, what happened, and then they wrote it down because it was so important. and um, so let's that's where we're going to pick up, I guess. Chapter nine, verse eighteen. I guess the little ver- the verse numbers got lost here. I'm sorry. Um, and I see also it got kind of formatted strange. I noticed that after I was making copies, so I'm sorry. ha yom um, Arba Asar Simcha Mishtev Yom Tov Right. So therefore, the Jews who are not in the big city, or they finished fighting on the thirteenth, they make um, the 14th day of Adar into a day of joy, and feasting, and a holiday, and sending gifts one to the other, right? So this is sort of, we'll see a little contrast to how it's described later. This is a description of their activities, right? So sort of something interesting to know, right? Yom Tov, and Mishloch Ha'alot. Is that good? You guys all okay with me to write that Okay. Um, okay. Um, Ba'yichthob Mordechai ha'advarim ha'elev. Right, so Mordechai wrote down these things, sounds like the things that happened, right? Ba'yishlach ha'zaparim ha'kol ha'yindim. He sent scrolls, probably, to all of the Jews. Asher b'chom nadinot ha'melk who live in all of the, the king of ha'chashverosh's provinces, ha'karvim b'har-chalkim, both near and far. Right, in order to establish on them the yot right, osim et yom arba asar, the chodesh adar. That they should bake the 14th day of Adar, the 8th and the 15th day, the choshana r'shana. They should osim, they should do it, whatever that entails, we'll see in a minute. Kayamim right, asher like the days where the Jews rested meyo Bahem from their enemies. V'ha chodesh, and the month, v'asher nehafach lahem biyagom l'simcha, me'eva yom tov. So, Thompson. he says, what are you going to do with them? La third time, you may be ster, this is verse 18. Um, right, we which have been accounted for, the Swiss. It um, will be schloss, but not each each pointed this out last time, but I just wanted to sort of draw that a little more explicitly. Right? What has changed between the two, other than the order? Right? Yom Tov is left out. Okay. Um, the big change seems to be the addition of Matanot Laevyonim. Right. And so, right when the Jews did it, they did it. And Mordechai is like, okay, going forward, we're going to have this as a perpetual holiday, and here's what it's going to entail: the stuff that you did plus Matanot Laevyonim. So this is sort of Something to think about, right? What does that mean about the nature of Matanot Levy? What's the point? Why does he add Matanot Levy in there? Are you asking? Sure. He's made it a Jewish festival and not just uh, Right, so this is what people Rally often like to dance. say. Right, meaning that like, it's not just like a party, right? That it's a, like, it's sort of supposed to take on like a religious, like a Jewish religious character, which is that you're supposed to share with others, right? Um, is that sort of what you meant? Yeah, yeah. like people always say, that like um, you know, where I, you know, Halloween uh, Purim is like the Jewish Halloween, right. already, but there's no component of uh, you know matanot and and Halloween. Right, but this is like a favorite sort of contemporary American dress, if you will. Like, what's the difference between Purim Halloween? Purim you give to people, Halloween you take from people, right? <laughs> Although, kindly, there oh, were places know. where there was practice where kids used to like go around, kind of trying to get candy from people. El um, Pur oh, for Purim. For Purim in addition to this stuff, but like, um, right, so you know, give it some religious significance. Right, not just partying. Um, does this tell you anything about like, what what is the point of matano no meaning from the perspective of the poor person, or meaning other than like, you know, to help you be doing something other than just, like not just being selfish on this day, what are, that they're required to observe it also, so you have to make it possible for them to do so. Right, we have to help everyone observe it. So, so this is going to be something that we'll see a little bit more. Um, hi. Right, we'll see a little bit more, right? There's an interesting question to what degree, right? It seems pretty clear that like, one of the main reasons that we're giving much of the name on forum is for people sort of is to help the poor people observe Purim, we'll see to what degree that is. Like, are they, what if they collect $1,000 on Purim? Do they have to use it all on Purim, right? We tend to assume not. Well, then we'll see that that's not obvious. Or it was not, it was not always obvious. I think at this point it probably is. Um, when you have Yom in verse 18, and then you don't see it in 22, does mm-hmm. that, is that a big change? I don't know if it's a big change, because I don't know that Yom Tov has a technical meaning in Tanakh. Um, You can imagine reading it as, you know, the first time they made it like a real holiday and they didn't go to work, they didn't do anything because this was their, you know, they personally were delivered and after that, you know, we sort of, it's a a less big deal. I can imagine that, but I don't think, usually when you talk about, in the Chumash, when you talk about a holiday like that, you call it Moe Mikra Kodesh, something like that. Yom Tov is kind of a later way of talking about that, so it's more, a little more generic. Um, so the other question, I guess, is what's the relationship between I mean, what are you giving to the poor people? Well, nowadays we collect money. Right, right. now mm-hmm. we give money. I guess I just want to raise the point that, right, if part of the point is to help everyone observe the holidays, maybe part of what this means is you give, you share food with your friends, and don't forget to also share with the poor people, right? Um, So let's see actually something on that. Something to keep, these are sort of things to keep in the back of our mind as we move on. Um, So the Talmud Yerushalmi in Megillah, 1 4. So you guys know how the Yerushalmi is organized? In general, when people cite to the Yerushalmi, we don't cite to page numbers like we do in the Talmud Babli. There's not really a standard edition in the same way, right, like the Babli, sort of the Vilna Shas edition has become, like, uh, things are always on the same page even when people retype it with certain exceptions, right, There's, you always say page 18a, 18b, whatever. Um, in the Yerushalmi, things are organized by Mishnah, basically, so chapter one, instead of Mishnah, they call it Halacha four, but it's the, it's the fourth Mishnah in chapter one of our Mishnayot well, it's organized that way, and then you sort of have to find it within that chunk. Um, people don't really cite by page numbers, but usually they're fairly short, so that's not so hard. Sometimes they're very long, and then you have to scan several pages to find out what you're looking for. But that's okay. That's our punishment for not knowing everything by heart. Um, well, in all the olden days, right-link in toes, they'll just cite something well, at the beginning of this pet chapter, the end of that chapter, and you're just supposed to know where it is. Right, like the page numbers are themselves a later edition. Anyway, so Yerushalmi Megillah, Chapter 1, Halachar, Mishnah 4. In that discussion we have the following. Rabbi Yudan Nisiya, right, so this is another sort of a Palestinian-Aramaic way of saying Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, right. Shalach Rabbi Hoshaya, Raba. Right, he sent to him Rabbi Hoshaya Raba, meaning like the big Rabbi Hoshaya. Rabbi Hoshaya is, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is sort of traditionally known as the codifier of the Mishnah. Rabbi Hoshai is traditionally known as the codifier of the Tossefta, Rabbi Khi, Rabbi Hoshai, and Rabbi Oshai are kind of the same person. Um, so this is somebody who is a contemporary of his, though maybe a little bit more junior, either younger or just sort of less, more junior in the scholarly ranks, like the Tossefta in the universe in which it's understood to have really been compiled by Rabbi Hoshai is considered to be a, have been compiled after the Mishnah. That's a big scholarly question as to like what exactly the source of this, how they work chronologically, but fine. So Rabbi Yuna is sending to Rabbi Hoshai. Um khada atam, right he sent him a, like a thigh of an animal, cooked or uncooked, we don't know, bhad lagin, right, and like a log of lagin the chamar. I don't know but I think it's actually one up here. I'm sorry that I translated it that way, right? Um, he sent, so he sent him like food, a piece of meat and a jug of wine. Um our leg, right? So he sent back to him Kiyam Tabanu Right, this present that you sent us is a fulfillment of the verse. Right. What's sort of interesting here is that he's going back directly to the verse, not to some sort of like rabbinic statement about the verse. It's not obvious that this has been codified as like one of the four of Purim in the same way. Chazar v'shalach le' chad igel. So he went back and he sent him another round thing. I think it's a round cake. V'chad garav. It's a barrel of wine. Garav de chamar. Shalach v'amar le'i k'yam tabanu v'mishloach manot he sent back to him, you fulfilled by this sending thing, this thing to us, um, sending portions to each other, right? So, what might what might we see from this? I don't know, is there anything interesting in this? I thought it was first of all sort of an interesting and story. And maybe because it's a thigh it's a, you know, it's more nutritious than a round cake for, uh, Meaning uh, why does he say the first right, for why the he the say the first one is for the poor so and the second he one? says the second one is cake and wine and the first one is protein and wine. Right. The second one is more of an right. indulgence than that. Well why does Rabbi Hura Nasi send him a second thing? Probably to fulfill both of them as well. Right. Or may, I mean it seems like maybe he... And you often have this where like the the sort of the aristocratic rabbis don't necessarily process the poverty in which the non-aristocratic rabbis are living, right? So when he sends him this thing, they're like, great, now we have food. They send back to him like, thank you for sending us food, right? Like we were hungry now we're not. And he's like, oh, that was not that's not what I meant, right? I meant to send you like an ephemera extra, right? So that's why he sort of goes back and sends it again, maybe. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that they would say we are the poor people that you're sending to, but also that like. He seems to see, on the one hand, right, the fact that you're doing basically the same thing to fulfill both mitzvot. it does suggest that they're sort of, they're aimed at the same purpose in some way, but that he's sort of, they're not really the same purpose, like, providing people with enough to eat is not the only purpose. There's something about going beyond that of mishloach Manot, that it's about, like, the camaraderie, not just the gifts of the poor. Meaning, in some ways, if they had said, the first time you sent us mishloach Manot, he might have been like, okay, great, that's it. But when they said, you sent us Matanot La'avionim, he's like, well, that's not really all that I wanted to do, right? Um, okay, so this story actually appears in the Bible in a somewhat different form. Um, so Megillah between pages seven a and seven b. Tani Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef taught. Right, this is the verse that says, "said they made these into days of sending portions from one person to his fellow." Right, two portions to one person. Um, how do we understand that, right? He's, this is a dresha. Mishlah manot is plural. Ish the Ish is singular. So you have to send plural things to a singular person as a minimum, right? We sort of—I think this is sort of a common knowledge about what's the difference in these two things, right? Matanot matanot is plural. Avyonim is plural. Shte matanot right? Two presents to two people, i.e., one to each. Um, which is also interesting because yershami doesn't seem to know about that. Right, the Yashami seems to think that two persons to one person fulfills, maybe fulfills Matanot name. Maybe he's just saying, you've done part of your Matanot name for us. But Yashami doesn't seem to be interested in this calculation in the same way. Um, right, so this is sort of a famous thing, one of the, the basic things that you always see in like the Purim Digest, right, that Matanot name is two things to two people, and Mishlach Manot is two things to one people, one person. Um, what else do they usually say about that? which we will see. What kind of two things? How do you decide if something is two things? We'll see. Uh, right, Rabbi Yehuda Nisiya, so now we have the same story and it's in the, the Babli version on page two, at the top. Rabbi Yehuda Nisiya, Shadar, he sent him, la Rabbi Oshaya, right, as I said, Rabbi Hoshea and Rabbi Oshaya are the same person. Atma um, de Igla Tlata, the third, the thigh of the third, um, third-born calf or something. Um, I, I don't know if that makes it, I guess that makes it fancy, I don't know why. The garba d'chamra, and some sort of a jug of wine, um, and a bottle of wine, according to this translation. Um, although as I said, Safari is open source, so you never know if that's really right. Um, right. He sent back to him, you Rabbi have fulfilled with us this pasuk, right, and it's either ambiguous as to which end he's talking about, or he's saying you kind of did both by sending to us because, right, I know th- I know that you meant to send to us because we're colleagues, but you've also happened to have fulfilled the giving to the poor because we're also poor. Um, I mean, I will say, you know, I remember my mother. We used to give. My mother there's not the kind of person who stands on ceremony or like particularly cares for packaging and aesthetics, shall we say, So, right? We were not like the people who gave like fancy cakes and whatever and like so was, she used to give like, basically like a grocery bag of food to like the three from families in our neighborhood. Um, but there's one family that like, yeah, well, whatever, it was like a single mom and like, they clearly like did not have as much money as her, well she always gave them like more. So it's sort of like, you know, in some ways you get this um, but you get the sense here that, like, what's the point of including this story that, like, even if what you're doing is Mishalach Mano, you can still sort of, like, help out your poor friends more, maybe. Um, so, but it's interesting, right, that the, the, two, the two layers of this story have disappeared from the Yerushalmi, right? The Yerushalmi sent him one thing, and he said, And it seems like he was, like, oh, that's not really what it meaning, like, he wanted to do both, so he had to send him two things, whereas here it seems like you know, it all sort of comes together. And it's interesting, this in contrast to the halakhic discussion before, right? He sent him two things, so we can see how that fulfills mishloch manot, right? He sent two things to one person. Can you also then fulfill matanot levionim, right? Is he saying like, because there's multiple people in my household, these two things each went to different people? I don't know about that. Or is he sort of saying, is he speaking more like, is he just quoting the whole pasuk sort of more not halachali strictly speaking, but sort of saying you've kind of done both here. Can you really do if you give Mishlachma no to a poor person, does that count for both? I don't I don't I think like halachali would probably say no. But if you give maybe if you give them something with three things in it, right, then like which most people do, right? I mean some people give out, you know, just a hamantash in a little bottle or whatever, but if you give them like a real substantive thing, you could commit you could probably do both. Um, so the next right, any comments or thoughts? Okay, so the, the mission Torah of the Rambam the laws of Megillah and Hanukkah talk about so he, this is a famous Rambam sort of at the end of the second chapter um, where he says mm-hmm. Right, It's better to increase or multiply the amount you're giving to the poor than to give a lot to spend a lot on your um, your your festive meal or like sending you know, to your non-poor friends. Shein sam um, simcha Because there's right, the best, the real happiness is to make poor people happy with you. And this, I think, gets back to this idea, right, that right is this isn't just a party. It's supposed to be like a religious, like it's supposed to be significant religiously in some way. Um, so you're supposed to make happy, right, live aniim all these sort of like marginalized people anybody who makes these sort of poor people, unfortunate, that's a good word, um, these unfortunate people happy, you're like, you know, God's presence, as we say, you sort of revive the spirit. Um, so there's few things to say about this. I don't know if you guys have any immediate reactions. Seems like today we spend a lot more time worrying about what we give to our friends than... Right. And I, honestly, right, that's probably... I think that like people love to quote this Rambam because it's a persistent problem, but like the reason the Rambam is writing it is probably because people were not doing that at his time either, right? Like everybody in theory likes this idea that like perm is about giving and it's not just about, you know, a big party, but like when push comes to shove, most people do prefer to like consume to spend on their own consumption and that of their friends than on like people they don't know necessarily. That's just sort of the way people are, right? right? Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, it, it is isn't. it isn't. There are always people who kind of, they, I don't know, you give out these little cards and say like in lieu of a gift, we have made a donation to blah, blah, blah. Um, and that is a thing that people do. And I think like one of the reasons that it's socially acceptable is because like, you know, every rabbi has given a, like, mentioned this at some point in their thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's famous, but it's famous partly because it is often neglected. I would say that. <laughs> um, but, right, also, so the, a few things, right? The idea of this, the point of Matanot Avionim is simcha, right? To bring simcha to the poor people, right? Perhaps just as everybody else is happy, right? Um, that it's not necessarily about their physical sustenance, right? So maybe, this is this is sort of a big distinction that people make in like halakhic literature, right? Um, Right, it could be simcha, maybe that's different than material needs, right? Maybe, it's not, this is not necessarily like ma'ot chitim where like people physically need money for matzah, right? Maybe it's more like you know, you're in fact sort of encouraging them to consume more than they can really afford on this day by subsidizing it because that makes them sort of happy. It gives them respite from like the general penny-pinching of their life. Not, meaning it's not, it's a little bit less of a sort of like a concrete thing. Like everybody needs to buy hamantaschen or whatever. Everybody needs to buy a meal, a fancy meal, right? It's sort of like, everybody needs to have a little bit, like a day where they don't have to worry about it. Um, so like it's more concerned with the like, the emotional feeling of the, Recipient, then, like, the, do they practically have what to eat? Um, which is something that we'll come back to, right? So, in, in a lot of halachic literature, you have these, <coughs> like here, a distinction, right? Well, if you say that, um, you know, it is is matanoda vionim a form of tzedakah, or is it a form of simcha purim, right? And if it's one or the other, it depends, like, what kind of money can you use for it? Like, it's pretty clear that you can't use miser money for it, um, but, you know, can you, um, because it's a separate obligation, but can you, like a, there are some distinctions that depend, may, may depend on that. Um, so I think like ultimately it's not, it, it doesn't, again, like doesn't have a ton of practical effect. Um, okay, so that's what I wanted to say about Mishloch manot in general, and Mishloch manot and Matanot Lev Right, Matanot Lev This first of all, this basic idea of Matanot Lev two to two people, Mishloch manot, one to two people, As well, sorry, two to one people, two to one people. Can't even say it without getting confused, uh, which we'll see like a little bit more about the parameters of the latter thing at the end. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about, right, like sort of string off of this Maimonides thing about right, the idea being simcha and respite for the poor. What exactly is supposed to happen? What are they supposed to do with this money? If you're sending them money instead of food, what are they supposed to do with the money? Um, so on that note, first of all, what source have we not seen, it? right? When you're learning something, we went from the mission, I should have mentioned this before. We went from the the, the verses to the Talmud Yerushalmi, what possible, what source have we skipped, right? Usually if you're sort of going through the history of halacha, you would have like, the verses if there are any, then you would have the Mishnah, then you would have the Talmuds, other rabbinic sources, then you sort of have Goni if there are any, whatever. So you go through historically, there is, Matanot Lev is mentioned in the Mishnah, but it's never like, Matanot Lev entails blah, blah, blah. It's more like, sort of it's it's mentioned incidentally, like for example, right? If you have two adars then you do machno name in the second adar. Okay, right? You do machno you and read the megillah in the second adar. Um, so like it's it's sort of understood to be one of the mitzvot of Purim, but it doesn't it doesn't talk about it directly, um, which is itself kind of interesting in terms of like what is the po- what's the point of the mishnah of megillah? Are they really about like celebrating Purim the way we celebrate, or they're more about the megillah itself? It seems like sort of the latter. Um, but in any case, so the tosefta in Megillah does talk about Matanola name in a little more detail, saying the following, which we'll see actually in other, it appears in the Gemara's as well. Mikvet um, or Magevat, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, I thought it was Magvet, but I saw other people translating it the other way. Mikvat, Purim, Lipurim, right. The collection of Purim is for Purim. What could that mean? That you can only use the money on Purim? You who? Yes, but you'd like to be uh, a little more specific. Who would the you The poor can only use it for... Okay, that's one option, right? So first of all, we're going to have six, We're going to have. Yeah, right, so one option is the poor can only use the money. However much they collect, they have to spend it all on their poor student, right? What's another option? Right, we're talking about a collection, so maybe it means right, the Gabayim have been collecting for Purim, either they're collecting on Purim or maybe they've been collecting before, they can only spend it on Purim needs. They can only give it out on Purim. They can't say like, oh, we've collected a lot, let's save some of it for our other charitable expenses. Um, and then the poor people maybe can do whatever they want. So those are sort of two options at this point, but we'll see that, we'll see different versions of this text sort of go in different directions with those possibilities. Um, here, I mean, right? what you collect in one city, you spend on that city. right? Um, you know, I think, for example, well, I don't know, but I think now this is not necessarily obvious, but usually an organization will tell you, like a lot of times you'll have people who will say like, you know, a portion of the rabbi's discretionary fund includes like, he, he likes to send a homage to Israel, right? But like, they usually tell you that in advance, right? They don't sort of like, tell you that this is the community charity fund and they be like oh actually we're sending it to ukraine right um well maybe they would but i think now it's sort of understood right part of it is like is the reason for these rules because that's the understanding of the people who give in which case maybe now it would be different because the understanding is different but um right so what you collect for that city should be for that city p- perhaps because the assumption is that people are giving because they want to help locally not because they want you to do whatever you want with it in medactegin be migbat porine, right? But you are not exacting with the collection of Purin. Um Okay, so we'll see this phrase again. Right? In medactegin, okay. So first of all, migbat porim porim could be one, four. Two by selecters, right? Right. Let's call this an A and B since I already have one and two. Sorry, right? Ainudexakin the Migbecurien. What might that mean? Or what does the vellum? What does it mean here? It, it goes on to explain, perhaps, right? Um, Aval, but Lokine Ta Galin, the shochtin, the oaklinotan, right? They just take some calves and they slaughter them and they eat them. The hamotar. And the extra does not go into the general charity collection. Um, okay, so does that give us any clue as to what it means? in So here's a few it sounds to me like what this is suggesting is but right, you don't calculate exactly. Well we have three poor people so we need exactly three cuts of meat. Right. Or we have thirty poor people, so we need exactly two and a half cows and somebody has to buy the other cow from us, right? Like you kind of like you make a you make sure that you have enough and you don't like worry about precisely how much each person is gonna get. If people get a little extra, that's okay. Um, that's well it exactly. doesn't sound like you're concerned with the extra but what's left over. Right. Right, but meaning that the way to avoid having leftover would be Just to be it. more careful at the beginning, right? Right, so it could mean don't calculate exactly, and we would think about, right, well, what's, what's the aesthetic of that, or what's the ethos of that? Um, maybe it's sort of it's part of this general, like, perm is a time of, you know, not worrying or not penny pinching or whatever it is. Um, right, the extra, right? I guess you would sell it and keep it for next. Keep the money for next year would be basically the solution there, because um, you can't keep the meat for next year without a freezer, um, or even with a freezer that'd be kind of gross. Anyways, right? Right. So then Rabbi Lezer, Omer Migbei Purim, Aya Semimenu Ani Ritzu Sandalo. Rabbi Lezer says, right, the collection of Purim, the poor person should not even use it to buy a shoelace. I inserted the word even there, but I think it's sort of implied, right? A shoelace in rabbinic literature is like a little thing that you would think is not a big deal, but it is. Right, another example of that is in now. Like the, the um, right, so in general, there's only three things that you're supposed to give up your life rather than transgress, right? Which is like a avodazaraginara, mean, right? Murder, adultery, and um, idolatry. But, right, then it, it, the Gemara says at a time of Shmad or Gezer, right, if there's sort of like some sort of anti-Jewish decree, right, the point is to root out Jewish practices, then a philu architecta masona, even a shoelace, right, if somebody tells you like to wear a non-Jewish shoelace instead of a Jewish shoelace to tie your shoes in the non-Jewish way, whatever that would mean, then you have to give up your life for that, right, so the point is it's something that you would think is small, but even so, it has an unexpected rule. So when you say a poor person can't even buy a shoelace, it sounds to me like it's saying, right, even though you would think it's not such a big deal, um, the point is, really, all the money has to be spent on Purim. Um, right, so that is this opinion, right, the spending by the poor. But notice that in this Tosefta, it's a different opinion, right? So the implicate, you could read that two ways. One is Rabbi is kind of restating the first rule, and that's what Migbei Purim, the Purim, means. Or you could say Rabbi is saying this, which means that the first opinion is something else. The first opinion just means you have the, the Gabaim have to spend it. Which makes sense with Migbe Tair, which seems pretty clearly to be talking about the collectors, right? First, the collectors have to do it. Second of all, the collectors are not super exhausting. Exhausting, And third, the people who are being collected for then do have an obligation to spend it all on Por, um, at least according to Rabbi Eliezer. Um, Rabbi Meir Omer, halovem aot li peirot, kelim kelim, peirot, dat Right, Rabbi Meir, so this is connected to the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who says if you borrow money from somebody, um, being like, you don't go to the bank for a home loan, you go to your cousin, you say, I want to borrow money to restore my kitchen, you can't use that money to buy a car, because maybe they wouldn't have lent it to you if they knew you were going to buy a car. right? Um, Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar Omer, Rabbi Mayor's position is even more stringent than we thought. It's not about just about a house and a car. If you say I want to buy a parka, you can't then buy a rain jacket, right? Um, but you can't buy a different kind of garment, right? It's, you have to like be very you have to buy the thing that you said you were going to buy. If you if you were specific, um, right? So it, it seems like this is connected to the idea of the collection of perm being for perm. Right? Why can't the poor person spend the money on on a shoelace? Because the people who gave it intended for him to use it for perm, and if they know that he's going to spend it on shoelaces, they wouldn't have given it, right? Which again gives you a clue that this is not real. The purpose here is not only to support the poor people, right? Because if that were the case, then the people should be happy if he doesn't have shoelaces for him to shoelaces, right? The point is that this is, it's get like, in some ways the implication is they're willing really to give more for somebody to consume food that they don't necessarily need than to buy things that they do need. Which, it sort of gets into the idea that the matanola vuneim is not exclusively about supporting the poor, it's somehow about sharing this sort of, like, ethos of Purim with everybody. Um, does that sound fair? Okay. So... I was just curious yeah? if they have, you know, if they have to distribute all the meat and not have left over. For example, does it have to be consumed? Right. Do you keep it until the next day? Or I mean, suppose it's a side of beef or something. Right. Could you store it? Um, I mean, listen. I assume you're not supposed to consume superhuman quantities of food. So, yeah. Like I, I, I would imagine that. Like I mean, what does it mean? Right. Because it says you can't buy a shoelace. It doesn't say you can't also eat it for breakfast or for the next day. So. Uh, I don't know what the pr- exact parameters are of you must spend it on poor, but it seems like, yeah, if the poor person, then if instead of what we're talking about, about like, you know, the community making a Suda for everybody, if you give them money or you give them food and they decide to eat like a normal amount for Suda and they still have leftover, it's not obvious, but then they, like, what are they supposed to do? They can't eat it now, right? So like, uh, it, it's, logically you would say that they have to be able to save it, because otherwise like, I don't know, somebody the poor. Right, well that's another question, Is like what, what's the of saying this, right, that like, well I think it's just for them to know, right, if they want to, you know, do it properly, then they should spend it all now. Which is sort of interesting also because our, today I think a lot of people give on Purim expecting that this will be people's income for a while. Oh really? I think so, meaning I think that like people know that like all these guys who come to stand outside of show like are sort of looking forward to Purim and it's one of their biggest collection days and like they collect a lot of money. No like people would probably be upset if they spent thousand dollars on porum, especially if it was like on alcohol for porum, right? So like they would re- they give it to them because they know that this is their day to collect for however long. Um, well, it's not, that, right? it's not <laughs> it's right? that long. Actually there's we'll talk about that in a second. There's an interesting connection between the two. Um, okay. So we have these two sort of phrases that we're going to see, right? One Mig Purim La Purim, right? The, the collection for Purim goes to Purim, which could mean either that it has to be dispersed on Purim or that it has to be consumed on Purim. Right? And the second is Aimadaktakin um, b'davar, Or Aimadakimb Magibat Purim here. So in the Yerushalmi, we have a similar source, right? Magivat Purim Lapurim, right? The collection of Purim is for Purim. Amar um, Rabbi Lezar, right, who we saw over here as well, Rabbi Lezar said. Rabbi Leiser and Rabbi Eliezer are the same in sort of any Jerusalem palestinian Aramaic. The aleph at the beginning of a word often drops out. Um, okay. Bilba, Right? As long as the poor person doesn't buy something other than poor food with this. Right? So that sort of answers our question in the Tosefta of what's the relationship between Rabbi Eliezer's statement that you can't buy... Uh, you can't buy, um, buy shoelace. And the first statement of Magivat Purim the Purim here in the Yershami, those two segments are kind of put together, and it seems like one is elaborating on the other. That they're kind of the same, right? Magivat Purim the Purim means it has to be spent there, and Rabbi Elianzar seems to be saying, right, even though you are wearing your shoes on Purim, even so, like, you shouldn't spend it on something that's not a, a specifically Purim expense. Okay. Ein Midach the Kin Purim. Right. We don't we are not middoctic in the midst of Quran. Um, I'm not gonna make a chart of this actually for now. Ella um, right? So what does a mean? You don't you're not Bidactic, rather anybody who stretches out their hand you give them. What does that mean? What does Aimodactache mean? You don't investigate the recipients, right? Anybody who asks to give to them. Um, I'm gonna erase this uh, so right, this is this is I think this is really the halal fun firm, right? Ordinarily, like right, the firm you're really supposed to give to anybody even if you think that they're not really poor. Or certainly by the end of firm they're probably not really poor. Um, but Right, Kolapo is like the sort of thing. You know, when I'm thinking that the people who come and stand outside um, the synagogue are actually, am I never, they even go door to door with, if they know where you live? I mean, I, I, I don't, the money doesn't seem to be specific to Purim. No, I've I don't thought it is about in, it before. Right, and I think this is surprising to us contemporary readers that it should be specific to Purim. Um, yes, I agree with that. Um, and that's part of what I was saying. that like, if the reason that it was specific to Purim in the olden days was because the the donors didn't want it to be used for anything else, nowadays it would be the opposite. Because I think every, whenever we, you give a dollar to the guy outside the show, you expect him to spend some of it today, but not most of it, right? Um, in which case, like, then even, even then I would think even according to this source, it might not be a problem, right? Because this source is it's contingent on the donor's attention. So if the donor doesn't have the attention of him spending it now, then he has no obligation to do that, right? Um, right so we have two phrases, midap form, the Right, so in the Tosefta, we had. Oh my god, terrible handwriting there. Right, so we have sort of our three sources, we'll get to the in a second. In so the Tosefta, midap form, the form means, seems to mean, First of all, one collectors collectors disperse it on forum. Right? They don't use it for some other charitable purpose. Right? And unclear, right? Maybe maybe this idea of Rabbi there Right, but the core can't use it for non-core, access, right? And it's not clear what the relationship between those two is in the TOSEPTA because they're separated, sort of, in terms of space, right? Amidexa came with the bar in the TOSEPTA seems to mean you don't calculate exactly re-expenditure per person Um, That's what it seems to mean in the text right? In the Urshami, what did we just say? We just saw, right, first of all, the Megavetic seems pretty clearly to be, because it's connected to Rabbi Eliezer, it seems like the focus is on the poor, the poor person can't spend it, right? The poor can't spend it on non perim needs. Um, and aiming at the Kimba the bar doesn't mean that you don't calculate how much each person means. It means what? You don't investigate the recipients, right? Um, meaning, like, yeah, if somebody who's not really poor ends up taking your money, you're not going love your name, okay, right? Um, another way of saying that, right, is you give to everybody. Right, um, but actually, right, one way of reading, right, what it actually says is you give to everyone, right, so what, the way I'm reading is that, that means you don't investigate whether they're really poor, but it also means, right, you don't worry too much about, like, you know, I only have to give to two people, so I already gave, right, you kind of, like, you fulfill the mitzvah as it comes up, and you don't, wor- you don't sort of think about it in a technical, legalistic way. Um, okay. So, Bob has a similar idea, right? Datani, right? Purim, the right? The collection of Purim is for Purim. Maghbaha'ir, the Otaha'ir, right? So, which text is this like already between the Yerushami and the Tosepta? What was the question? This bodily, when we just said, right, the collection of Purim is for Purim, and the collection of the city is for that city. Which of the texts that we've already seen is this more like? Um, the Tosepta Maghella? Right, it's more like the Tosepta. Right, the Yashami right, seems to understand both of these phrases a little differently than the Tosepta, but the Badli is more like the Tosepta, right? So first of all, about right? the collection of permits for perm seems directed at the collectors, right? Right, because it's similar to the collection for the city staying in the city, um, and it says aimed at the Motar, you pull the The leftover does go to the Keshtel tzedakah, which is interesting because the, the Tosefta, I think said the Motar, all you pull the um, But any Motar, right? The, 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 the Tosefta says you don't keep the leftover for the general tzedakah fund, which I guess means you save it for next perm, you're going to keep having more and more. I don't know. Um, but here it says, right, if there's leftover, it's fine. You give it to Tzedaka, but you sort of you make a big party make sure everybody has enough. a it seems right. Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, Megbach Kariin Leforim. The Ein Haani Rasha Likafmah Hendrizu Alas Andalo. Right. Rabbi Eliezer says it's not about the collector. Right. And right then we have Rabbi Eliezer. Right. The poor person can't even buy shoes, does it? Ella Inkei Hitanu B'Ma'amad An Sheheir. Unless there was a condition made, sort of in the Ma'amad An Sheheir, which seemed to be the. um like whatever communal council there was, some sort of ruling body. Um, presence of the members of the community, but like, okay. Um, right, so that follows the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who we saw in the Tosefta, says that you, you can't borrow from somebody and use it for something other than the reason that you gave them. But Rabbi Shimon would say, no, you're allowed to, even meaning like you don't always have to be, do things for exactly the same reason, that may be a separate right? So the Bible seems to basically follow the Tosefta, uh, doesn't have any mention of amidectochine, oh, it does talk about amidectochine, but tomorrow, right, sort of sped freely, freely-ish, right, and don't extend to you guys, Right, the poor person can't is for shoelace, unless he specifies, right? Okay. okay, so these are sort of our two options from here, right? So if the bob lead follows the tosefta, you might expect that that's how our halacha would be, right? That like the perm collection really has to be both distributed on spent on perm or maybe the extra can be kept for other things and, um, you know, you don't have to worry too much but how much you're spending on every person, but not necessarily this up of shayya dosing does not appear in the Bible, at it's not here, right? Um, but as you will see in the halacha, it's not not exactly like that. Um, so the Rambam, this is the halakha halacha before the one we saw previously in source of eight. Um, right, you have to disperse money to poor people on Purim. If there's no less than two poor people, noten l'chol echad matana achat, Then you give everybody one present. O ma'ot, either money or food. ochlin, tafshil and ochlin are kind of, right, cooked food. Ochlin could be some sort of other non-cooked food or roasted food. Shnei shtei So as long as there are at least two poor people in your place, you give everybody Something, right? It's interesting. He doesn't say you have to give two of them. He says you have to give everybody who ask, Right? He just seems to think you give, you're giving to everybody who asks you. Right. We're not so concerned. When you don't change it around, um, to a different. Right? So the Rambam thinks, first of all, the collectors have to disperse it on Purim. There's no mention of this idea that the poor person has to spend it on Purim. Um, and he thinks, this, you don't invest it; you give to everybody, right? Um, which is kind of interesting, right? Because this, this whole thing about giving to everybody is from the Yerushami, but the Yerushami also understands that the poor can't spend it on non a needs and the Raman doesn't follow that. Uh, maybe because there, it's maybe the way he would understand the Yerushalmi is that when it says Purim, Purim, that's talking about the collectors. When it says Rabbi immediately after that, it's not actually explaining the same thing. It's a third line, which is an, a minority opinion that we don't follow. And then this other thing about you give to anybody who asks is also the halacha. Um, in general, I mean, this is not like my area of expertise, but in general, there's there's a lot of ideas that sometimes when the Rambam thinks says things that are hard to understand from the perspective of the Bavli, that really what he's doing is following the Yerushalmi. Um, maybe it's the case here, fine. Um, is this what we do? What's so the halacha, the halacha today is that right? Anybody who asks, you're supposed to give them. You're not supposed to be like, oh, I already gave, or I gave it the office, right? Or, um, no, I mean, listen, I'll, let me qualify that. Anybody who asks for money for themselves as a poor, who holds themselves out as a poor person you're supposed to give, I don't think that necessarily means you have, like, in the practice in, like, you know, Brooklyn or whatever, people go around collecting for yeshivas. I don't think that that is, that's not no your yonim, right? That may be, a, like, a nice minhag, but it's not, like, I don't think you have an obligation to give those people the same way you do. It's not kol ha poshet yodo for any cause. It's kol ha poshet as an ani, I think. But that is a halacha that you should, you're should you supposed to give to anybody who asks for them. Um... And, you know, I don't know what the halacha is about charity funds, but I assume that it, they do use the charity funds collected on Purim for giving out on Purim. But the halacha is not that the poor person has to use them has to then use them on Purim. Perhaps because of this thing of like, well, we don't actually have that expectation anymore, right? It's as if we did have like a specification in front of everybody in the city that that's not what they're planning to do with it. Um, thank you. Um... We will perhaps even get there. Um, so source nine, right? So, okay, this is sort of passing around. I'm going to the tour, who is the son of the Rosh. Um, so the Rosh was sort of like this transitional figure who moved from Ashkenaz to Svarad. The tour was his son, um, in like the like the 14th century. Um, Rabbi Yaakov ben Harosh kol adam um, matanol Right, every person has to give matanol This is also a separate question which we don't have to discuss. So there's a technical difference between an evyon and ani, right? And evyon is a sort of a pauper, and ani is a poor person, right? Um, I mean, it, like you could be an ani if you're living below the poverty line, say, but an evyon is like really destitute person. So it's interesting to call it matanol right? It seems like la we're not really even though there is some discussion of it, like in practice you don't only need to give to people who are really super destitute. It could be anybody who's sort of needy in the more general sense, um, right? So he says, mm-hmm. at least two to two people. Right, money that was collected in order to give to to poor people on poor. You can't just use it for some other charitable purpose. Right At this point of the halacha is still that the poor person can't spend it on anything else. Ella Bisuda Purim, right? He's supposed to spend it on Purim. Um we're not super we're not we're not exacting with them, right? If you stop right there, you could say, right, well, the poor person is supposed to spend it on Purim, but we don't, we kind of look the other way. But it seems like what he's really saying is, This is very interesting. We don't worry too much about who's collecting. Whoever asks, we give them whether they are Jewish or not. Um, so this is also a really interesting. We'll see in the Ramah he kind of qualifies that, but it seems like He's saying that because that's what happened, right? The non-Jewish people poor also knew that Purim is the time to come to Shul and get money. Right? Um, yeah. So that's, a, that's just sort of something interesting You say. Like on Purim, we're not so great. Whoever comes, comes. Which for, I guess, whatever for those of us who are last semester. Um, right, it, it's actually in general true of the charity fund that like if both a group of Jews and non-Jews come that you can give to both of them, you should give to both of them. But, um it's sort of interesting that he put that here because it suggests that that was what was happening. Um, so the Shulchan Aruch oh, codifying what has come before us so far. we saw that in the Rambam and in the Torah, you can't, you the collector can't change it to a different charity. Haga, The Ramah says, specifically the collectors. right? The collectors can't give it to another purpose, but the poor person can do whatever he wants. Which in some ways, right, if the whole thing is what do the donors intend, at least from, from my perspective, that's what the donors intend now. It's hard to know whether this is reflecting what the donors are intending or is creating what the donors are intending because this creates the practice, right? But what the donors intend today, I think, is that it will be distributed on Purim, but the poor people will do with it whatever they want. Um, okay. Right. You don't worry too much about it. Right. You give anybody who stretches out their hand. Right. And in a place if they have the custom to give to non-Jews, you also do. Right. So you see, he's kind of he's recording what we see in the tour, but he's kind of pulling back from it a little bit. He's not saying you give to whoever. He's saying in a place like the tourist place where they do give to both Jews and non-Jews, sure, do that. But it's not like you have to go out of your way. Um, so, that's sort of where things stand, but I, mean, I think in general, there's, there is something, there's just hints of it, and it's always hard to sort of piece together when you're reading into something when you're not, but like, in general, Purim is a day of sort of lack of distinctions, right? Um, right like, one of the distinctions that is a little bit, even though Purim is all about like this big war against non-Jewish enemies, still, when it comes to the celebration of Purim, you celebrate it with the non-Jews as well. Right, and if part of the point of giving out this money is not just like, it's not just to provide needs like shoelaces, it's to sort of share this good cheer, then that's actually a little bit strange, um, meaning it makes more sense if the point is just to support people than if the point is to share this poor happiness, because like, what do the non just care about the Purim happiness, right? Um, so that's sort of something sort of interesting back there. Another thing Another thing that sort of got connected with this was the idea that a lot of people were in costumes or masks so you didn't even know who you were giving to, right? It's not just that anybody, right, anybody who stretches out their hand, well that's because you don't even, like, the point is you don't have to ask them to look at their mask, and, I don't know if there was a mask in the time of Shulchan actually, I'll leave that aside, but it's probably by the time of the Ramah, or in Ashkenaz, they certainly were using, we're doing that kind of stuff already on forum, right? Nobody knew who anybody was, and that's okay. Right, and there were even stories about, right, like the rich people would sort of, they would go around collecting because nobody knew who they were, but then they would, there's a story about somebody who like the rich person used to collect, or one of the rabbis, I forget exactly who it is. He used to collect in a costume because nobody knew who he was, and then he would keep that money and don't use it for maot team, right? Which is kind of interesting, right? Which is cause it's sort of, the opposite of the collection of perm is refer, but you know since he collected in his capacity as a poor person, I guess it's okay. But right, the idea that people are more willing to give for sort of like frivolous or excess expenses on perm than they would be to give for the Passover necessity, so he has to kind of like, you know, shuttle from one to the other. It it, it actually is very interesting and it's resonant with what we've seen that like perm at the time where sort of like, you know, a bar. You kind of like you spend too much, you spend too much. Okay, whereas the rest of the time everybody's kind of like Pesach coming. You know, I don't have extra. Um, so it, it tells you something about the nature of Matanol levionim, and it's not exactly like a normal charity collection process, which in these days is very regimented and very much like, well, you get, you know, two figs every day, and you get a loaf of bread, and you get whatever, like, you know, there was like, a, you know, operated as if in a time of scarcity, because it was a time of scarcity, right? And here it's like, you know, just like some so, so a feeling of excess. Um, but if you look at source 11, you kind of get that feeling as well. Um... I think. So this is like, I mean, I don't know, this is a little bit esoteric, perhaps. Um, not less, not a little bit esoteric. So the Shla is like one of the um, sort of famous capitalists, Shnei Luchotabri, commentary on something, I think. Um, sort of, he started in Prague, he moved to Poland, he was in Beijing in a few cities, so he was also wealthy, apparently he ended up, he moved to Israel and died there. Um, so he wrote various, apparently also a which I did not know until I looked to up last night, but this is probably his most famous work, sort of a famous catalyst. Um, right, so this he says, that which they of blessed memory said, um, right, I'm poor. you give to everyone who asks. What's the idea? Right, the collector is like the, either identified with the Sfirah of Yesod, or um this is the foundation in a literal way. We may hachol, pin, right? So on the on a regular weekday everything is is part of what's called Zeeran Pin, which is like in Lurianic Kabbalah. And I will tell you this, I'm not gonna pretend to like actually understand what it means. Um I don't really know anything about Luriana Kabbalah, that um there's like these four faces. Zeran Pin is considered like the small face and it's the six spherot of classic wordneta chody sode. Um, right, there's ten spherod, whatever, so it's sort of like the seventh, the sort of the 4th through 9th gira is um it's called zairun pin whatever that means right um tariqli oh the mean attends the karid on those days you have to kind of figure out who really deserves it well atasha who is Abba, albahira ghdallah Abba is um is like one of the high, higher than those 6 gira oh, whatever whatever the reason I'm reading this is not for the technical kabbalistic aspect so you can dispute whether that, then in fact it means something, but okay, so right. So an ordinary week is on this, like here, right? Purim is is here, so um, that's why you're not as concerned, right? You give to everybody. Um, the reason I brought this is because I think it's, it's making explicit a little bit of what I've been trying to get at up till now, which is that like, there's something about the, d- the giving out on Purim is not only or primarily concerned with like providing for people, it's about sharing a certain sort of perm feeling, or what like he would say, you know, like the spiritual nature of perm, but something about like sharing the Purim perm way of being with everybody, including poor people, um, and in some ways also like from the perspective of the donor, right, that like because perm changes the way that you are, it changes the way that you give, also, right, like having nothing to do with what the people who accept it from you are or are not doing with it. Um, so that's sort of what I wanted to say about my really being right so to recap, right, the actual halacha which we kind of see in the shulchan Arif, is A. yes, the gabaim, the collectors are supposed to use the money collected for Purim on Purim, they're not supposed to use it for some other tzedakah um, the poor people are allowed to use it for some other purpose um, and you give to anybody who asks which like has a lot of sort of a lot of sides to that. A, you give to anybody who asks, even if you don't know who they are because they're wearing a costume. B, you give to anybody who asks, even if you're not really sure that they're poor, you do know who they you are, but you're not sure they're poor. C, you give to anybody who asks, even if they're not Jewish. Um, that's that. So, that's sort of what I have to say about my tonot And on the last page, I just have resources about um, what exactly, how exactly um, Mishloch Manot works. So, Mishloch Manot, we have, right, we saw before, Mishloch Manot is what? How many portions to how many people? Two portions. portions, two portions. Right. Mishloch Manot, plural portions, Each the reign is singular. Okay. Um, so we see that codified in the Shulchan Aruch, which says, Chayav Lishloch, Lachaviro, Shte Manot Basar, O Shalmine Ochlin. Right? You should send two portions of meat. Or types of food, right? Um, which we saw in the Rambam. Actually, it was say or Mineh or something. Um, what does portions of meat sound like? Sounds like two pieces of the same food, right? Um, you know, two chicken breasts, or two types of food. Amar Manot Shte Manot We saw that in the Gemara. But if you send more than that, that's great. Um, either two more people or more to one person. Um, if let's say you don't have enough to sort of to send extra food to somebody else, you switch with your fellow. Meaning, right, Like Right. I give you a plate of hamantaschen and a bottle of wine, and you give me uh, a different plate of hamantaschen and a different bottle of wine, probably, or maybe the same. Uh, probably different, right? Zeh It's not actually a place of commentation. What is he sending him? He sends him right? I cook, my, I cook a meal and I give it to you. and you cook a meal and you give it to me. Right? Which suggests also that like, what's the point of Mishloch Manot? Not like M&M's, it's to like, have the food be communal in some way, even if everybody's eating in their home, but the food that people are eating is somehow sort of a combination of everybody else's food as well. Um, It creates some sort of sense of community, camaraderie, and also uh, another sort of issue of just like blurring of boundaries, or even the meal that you're eating in your own home is actually like a mishmash of everyone else's food, right. Right, in order to uphold this verse, Mishlach Manot, sending Manot is portions. Right, in some way, the, lit- the literal meaning of the verse, right, you send portions, portions of the meal to your fellow. Um, so Haga, this is the Ramah right, the Ashkenazi glosses on the Sephardic Shulchan Aruch says the following: So you should send mishloch Manot during the day and not at night, as we saw briefly last week. Actually, right, all the main time for all of the mitzvot of Purim is during the day. Right, even the the Megillah, which we also do at night, the real, the main mitzvah is during the day, whatever that means, and the other mitzvah are only during <coughs> on the day, um, which doesn't mean that if you put money on the plate at night for Mishloch know that it first starts from entering the account, but that's because the disbursement is going to happen the next day, right? Um, you know like I think a lot of organizations when they do these communal Mano, they'll tell you, you know, like whether or not you fulfill your obligation for Mano, right? like in my kid's school they leave it in the office for you to pick up three days later that does not count whereas like you know if the shul is really going to run around delivering it to everybody's house on Purim then it would count um, okay okay Right. Let's say you send to somebody, who a no Right. He says no, I don't want to take them. Meaning perhaps because he doesn't like you. Oh, Or he says, oh, you don't No, you didn't have to. You didn't have to. Meaning like not that he doesn't want to take them because he doesn't like you. He doesn't want to take them because he doesn't want to take from you. He feels bad or whatever. He wants you to keep it. Yetzah, you're still yotze. What does that tell you about this mitzvah? It's just the thought that counts. Yeah, right. Exactly. Not exacting is right. It's not exacting. The point is the feeling that these things generate, not like the actual transfer of food. A woman is also obligated, right? I guess you might think, well, maybe it's a mitzvah, but like in general, women are obligated in the positive mitzvah of Purim because they too were in miracle, which we can talk meaning one could talk about that separately. Um, right, so a woman is obligated in this. Kish, um, right, just like a man, and it's an interesting question as to whether he's saying that because people didn't actually do it. There is certainly a choron who talk about, like, well, women tend not to give this, how is that really possible? Maybe they're yodzit with their husband, well, that doesn't really work, sort of like, it's not clear that women were actually doing this. It seems like more, as it is today, more of a household thing, but like, um, you know, you can still make sure to give enough from your household, right? Um, you know, you have to give four for a married couple instead of two, I guess. But um, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Women should send to women and men should send to men. Why would you think that? I mean, like, if I stop right there, what would be the reason for that? Sneeze. Right. See it's but like it's not but right, perm, which is the day that is like known for cross dressing, is not a crazy day to be like maybe we should sort of pull back on the intergender relationships of people who are totally drunk. Um, which we'll talk about another time as well. Right. But meaning like I would say, right, you, you could totally understand this as like, you know, just sort of like in general, we sort of like people to interact mostly with people of their same sex, and certainly on Purim, which is maybe they've already kind of loosened boundaries, we like that. But if you actually say is shaloya um, la'amana, man shouldn't send to a widow, meaning like a single woman, but those that's sort of how women were, would be single in those days. The dates the fake maybe they'll be sort of like accidentally, definitely married. But I think in some ways that is a way of expressing the anxiety about like this could lead to inappropriate kinds of Relationships, right? So just, you know, keep it within the gender. Um, but for gifts to the poor, you don't have to worry about that, right? Because there is, in some level, a different feeling. When you're giving to the poor, it's not like a sort of a friendly exchange in the same way, um, right? We would never say that, like, you know, first of all, because like, then what would happen to all the widows, right? They would never get any charity if the men are the ones who are usually doing charity. That would be kind of sad for them. Um, but, anyways, okay. Just another thing about Mitzvah name, Sorry, Mitzvah which is not here. I just thought of something else that I had not included. Um, there was actually a discussion about what, what, do you, what happens if you send Mitzvah to people and they're not home, right? Or what if you leave it with their family but they're not there, right? And the person you were intending to give it to is not there. Maybe that doesn't even count. Um, but I don't know. Oh, the other thing I was. So just what did they say? Is I'm just curious so I think this. so the article which is where I saw this he says right if you leave it at their home and they're not there but they're going to be there on Purim and that they're going to be there in time to consume it on Purim at least in theory that's fine he does say which this I found really surprising right? if, you, if they're not there and you leave it with somebody and he's not going to be back even if you left it with his family, that doesn't count, which is surprising because it each to each to his own fellow that he should at least know about it on purpose. So first of all, now that we have modern communication, maybe he could know about it even if he's not there, if his family got it. So that's one thing. Second of all, I would say, right, even though we say that like a man should give to a man, a woman should give to a woman, I think like today we wouldn't necessarily say that you're only intending for it to go to the head of the household, right? You would like if if the other adults in the household know about it, that would be fine. Even if like a sort of an older child knew about it, that would be fine with you. Um, this one other thing that is often not people, many people do not know this. I think is that actually you're not supposed to give mitsvah money to a person in mourning. Um, <coughs> people <don't know> that. <laughs> At least that was my experience. Um, but yeah, um, but they are like anyone else. They have an obligation to give. But usually, like people say, when you're in mourning, you should give sort of the minimum amount. You shouldn't like go all out and give crazy amounts. Um, Maybe that's a good year to follow the Rambam's, you know, <laughs> suggestion and give more to four. Um, okay, so what else do people people always say about Mishlech Monot, right? What is two types of food? This is what everyone learns in elementary school. Two brachot, right? Um, as We will not see that in any of these sources. As far as I know, it is not actually a thing. Um, it was like made up by somebody's elementary school teacher at some point. I don't know, maybe it was made up by somebody more knowledgeable than an elementary school teacher, not to catch this version about elementary school teachers either, but, like, I, it's not a thing. Um, my guess is that it's sort of, like, a mnemonic for people to be, like, how do you know it's really two different foods? Because as we're going to see, right, like, you can't just take a pie, cut it in half, and be, like, here's two halves of a pie, um, right? Even if it's big enough to be two portions, right? Like, that doesn't really count. So maybe sort of that's how people... But you could send, like, a small pumpkin pie and a small cherry pie, and that would be fine, right? Even though they're both... I don't know, cherries and pumpkins and different bruches. But like, you know, you could send like curry chicken and barbecue chicken, and that would be fine. Um, an apple and orange. <laughs> Although, right, it seems like also they're mostly talking about cooked food. I think you can use raw food, but when they say mine ochlin, that might include like raw food. But it seems like they're mostly talking about some kind of cooked food. Um, so the Mishnah bura talks about mine ochlin, right? So first of all, what does that mean? V'lob gadim Vishare v'reim. Not clothes and other stuff. Um, notwithstanding the practice now, right? people put all sorts of things and they put like, you know, candlesticks and whatever, um, especially like these shul things, but they usually always have at least some food, right? And it's an interesting question, right? What does it even mean to say like, you're not say Shalach Manos with the other stuff that's in your Shalach Manos? I mean, like, okay, but like, if you've already put some food in there, you've already done the baseline mitzvah of Manos, so anything else you put in there is just sort of extra to make people happy. You can make people happy however you want, right? Like, I don't know exactly... I don't know that after you've already put in the minimum amount of food that like, it really matters what else you would include in the same package as long as it's calculated to like, make the person happy. Um, right, so not, not clothes and other stuff. Vuhu adin right? This is the same for drink, right? Meaning you include types of food. It doesn't mean literally solid food. It could also be drinks. Deshapir dami achila, right? So the same thing is true of drinks; that they also are are a fine thing to include because drinking is included in the category of eating. Right? Similarly, you could have like one food and one drink. Right? But it has to be something cooked, not raw meat. Right? manot doesn't sound. Ma'not again sounds like a portion, meaning like a plate of food that you could eat, not like something that you could eat if you work on it. And part of the point is where, like, I did the work for you, But right? In some ways, like that, right? If you talk about the poor people exchanging seudot, it's still different than eating your own sunda because somebody else did the work of what you're actually consuming, right? Um, some people say, well, as long as it's sort of like as it's slaughtered and meaning prepared in whatever way, you know, salted, whatever else you would have to do to it, then it's allowed, right? So for his first opinion is, well, it has to be food that you could eat right now. And there's well, food that if it only requires a minimal amount of preparation, that would also be fine. Um, right? So first of all, this is like one of the first discussions we've seen where it's been like pretty technical about like what is, what isn't, right? It's sort of, in some ways, it's a real we've traveled a far away from the Gemara where somebody sent somebody like this sort of generous Purim gift and he's like, oh, you did this misal with me. He's like, oh yeah, I guess I did, right? Um, here it's like, well, what about, we'll see actually the our Shacham will even cite that, but you know, what about this, what about that, what if you have one of this and one of that, what kinds of things, right? It's, it's the, the type of discussion is more technical. I'm not saying that like the actual practice was or was not more technical, but um, that's the way, it's sort of the way it's talking about is like, you know, classic sort of halakhic way of talking about these things, and it should be sending portions not wending portions oops um, right and then I have friends who do this they, they give out like um, they give out a meal right they always make it there's this thing about lentils on firm they usually make some sort of a lentil doll whatever um, should I just explain that today anybody care <laughs> there's this thing about lentils on perm because um, well let me finish the first thing so they give out you know like those little like takeout food containers with the three Portions, so they'll put like rice and like a main thing and a dessert and they give you like a little takeout meal. That's sort of like the classic Mishra Um But the thing about lentils, they do it I think because of like duvad, because they like to serve Indian food, but um, there's this this midrash, right, all these midrash seem about like how did Esther keep kosher? How did she, how did she, how was she from in Ahasuerus' palace? So well, there's one thing of, you know, she had these seven different uh, maids, so that she always knew when it was Shabbos, and she behaved differently on Shabbos, but since that maid was only there on Shabbos, they didn't know that that's not how she always was, so nobody knew that she was keeping Shabbos, right? Um, and then there's this other maid said, so what did she eat? She was basically, she only ate zero mean, like, you know, and sort of, she was a vegan, um, right? So that's why, and I think it, I think it even might even mental menthol, Adashim lentils, so that's, I think, one of the reasons people serve lentils on Purim, even though like it's not necessarily in most people's minds in keeping with like the sort of lavish nature of the day. Um, but I think lentils are very yummy. But I also don't like animal, eating animals so much, though. So. <laughs> I am idiosyncratic in that regard. Um, fine. So just the last verse I have, and I hope we, well, we'll see, we'll talk about it a little more at the end. Right, so the Arach which is, so the of Burra is written by Rabbi Mayor Hako and Kagan, also known as the Chafetz Chaim. Um, in the 19th century. The Arach HaShulchan was written contemporaneously. I'm blanking on his name. Um, there's a lot of talk lately about sort of well, what's the difference. For a while, the Mishneh Burrah was not always like the most important later commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, the way it is now, you know. Part of it just has to do with sort of, you know, the Mishneh Burrah was printed on the page. The Arach HaShulchan is not organized according to the page. Or it is, but it's not. It's not it's printed in a separate volume so it's harder to use. For a while, the Arach HaShulchan was more popular, I think. Um, then the Mishnaburah, now it's sort of the reverse, but there's, people talk about this a lot, you know, because the Mishnaburah was a Rosh Hashiva and the Arach HaShulchan was a pulpa rabbi and like, or a community rabbi, so maybe he was more sensitive and we should go back to his model of psaac, I mean, this is all mostly academic questions at this point, but, so the Arach HaShulchan, you know, an important work, though, it has been somewhat overshadowed. Ubarur um, hadavar, right, it is clear. Right. So, you know, it's clear. Everybody knows, right? Everybody learned from their Mora that you have to send either two types of food or two types of drink or one type of food and one type of drink. Um, in fact, we have this explicitly. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi sent wine and meat to Rabbi Yosha and Rabbi Shai said, you have fulfilled Meshloch Banot. So, we know that like it could be one drink and one one food. Um, it's also interesting, right, that like this seems to be something that people feel like they have to say, meaning like they're seriously entertaining the possibility that like well, the is really just types of food, which on some level makes sense, right, because it is a different feeling. Like getting a, a multi-course meal is different than a food with a drink. Um, maybe I don't know. Except that like for the sort of you know importance of the types of drinks that people are sending, right, usually not orange juice Aval um, e Right, but two two slices of the same thing doesn't count. Right, just because you cut it in half, are you really going to count it as two? Right, but that is going to have a problem, because remember we saw in the Ramam, which sounds exactly like that. Not necessarily, meaning like, right, it could be, right, if it's two chicken breasts, then maybe it's not really that you cut something in half, although you did cut the chicken apart, but whatever. Um, but two slices of meat. Well, like you could just make the slices thinner, and then you'd have four, right? <laughs> um, right? The Rambam wrote, you should send two portions of meat or two types of food, or two types of some other kind of cooked food. Right? So that's sort of a problem for the for the who just said you can't just take one thing and cut it in half, right? right. He did say two types. Of things, so when he said it the first time, shnei basar, right? We're forced to say basar. When he wrote two portions of meat, Maybe it's two types of meat, right? It could even be I don't know, maybe it could be two types of meat from the same animal, right? Like you know, tongue and corned beef or something. I don't know, or you know, something that's different in some way, spiced differently. I don't know, or different types of animals. Oh, so maybe it's a uh, a printing error, right? This is like the when you really don't know what to say, then you're like oh, he didn't really mean it. Here, it's not, it's not totally crazy, because manot and mine are similar words, right? Um, right? Either two types of food or two types of food. Um, two types of meat, just like two types of food. Um, so basically, right, that is the halacha, that you send two portions of meat or other types of food um, right, they have to be different enough that they're not the same thing, but they don't have to be too brachot, right? It could be two kinds of chicken, um, and like there are sort of there is a preference it seems like for things that you could eat at your suet that are like meal type foods, not Skittles or whatever. Are Skittles kosher in America? I don't think so. Um, no, there are. I don't know. My husband once went on a business trip where all he ate was Skittles because all he ate was Skittles because he was like working in downtown London like all day and he didn't know how to get kosher food and he tried to expense it and the secretary was like, what are you doing? And then he he was like, that's all I could do Skittles and Diet Coke. So then they paid for it. Um, Those were the days when we were young. But um, in any case, right, so uh, unless you are in that situation, right, like there does seem to be a preference for real food, right? Um, The problem is like in our, people like to give non-real food because it lasts for longer and like also because... They're already making their own. I meaning in some ways, like there's reasons why we give, why our practice has shifted away from this, but in some ways, like, you know, we have a neighbor who used to give a right? Some people still give, like they give, they do give real food that you could eat at your souda. Um And I guess if we all shifted to like not cooking our own whole Suda, but actually expecting to give, get food from other people, then that would make it, which is presumably what they were doing, that would make it make a lot more sense. Um, right, so that's sort of like, in some of today, since we have about five minutes left, um, right? So we started by seeing these verses where matanot Levionim um, gets kind of right. The pra- gets kind of added on by mortified to the practice of the Jews seem to have already established, right? It seems like matanot Levionim is not just about supporting the poor, but it's about some sort of like aesthetic or ethos of Purim sort of non-exactingness that everybody gets to spend a little bit more than usual. Um, and, right, that said, right, the poor person, the halacha is, they're actually allowed to spend it on anything other than poor, but the donation has to go just to them. And in terms of Mishloch Mano, right, you're supposed to give two things, not necessarily two brachot to one person. Um, it seems like each member of a married couple should each be giving to somebody, to man or woman. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know that that means that, first of all, there's a, there's a discussion that also I didn't bring here about whether Mishloch Mano, whether it's better to do it via an emissary, right? Like, somebody even asks, like, well, have you fulfilled Mishlah Huanod if you just give it to somebody, right? Because you didn't send it to them or you just gave it to them. Um, right, but meaning, like, there's something about, like, really, like, everybody's getting into the pot. In some ways, like, it sounds silly, but it's also not, right? The point is, like, everybody is involved, like, there's this whole community round robin where, like, everything is kind of going around and in some ways, even, like, its origin is getting lost. It's not, like, it's supposed to increase friendliness from the people who send to the people who don't, but, like, involving more people in it kind of creates... A bigger sense of community. Um, so that said, you know, do a husband and wife, you know, do they have to each personally send their child with a different thing for a different family? I don't know, but meaning like certainly they should not rely on one package, right? You should rely on two packages. Well, is it only one package? Because it seems now you get like a, a box with much more than two types of food. Right. I mean. So I, I mean, I think that like, two types of food to one person, Right. So if you give right. So if the husband and wife give four types of food to one person, then it could be from each of them. Yeah, it's true. Um, I think that's true. Um, but the point is right. Like you shouldn't rely on the minimum. I, mean, I knew somebody also, a Professor what's his name, Joseph Stern, in the University Chicago, who used to like give out these little note manot at, like after megillah, and he would always give to one person to give to another person, which I think was his way of also like helping us puny undergrads fulfill this mitzvah if we had forgotten to prepare ourselves. <laughs> but like it was also kind of like. It felt like this kind of sticky perm thing that actually like made sense, and it makes sense with this idea of it specifically it's supposed to be mishloach like you're sending on by somebody else. I mean, now I would say it's like there's there's interesting sociological work to be done on like the role of mishloach manot, which is certainly in like the more yeshivish community is very like it's like this is like the woman's like time of year to shine. It's like actually a lot of pressure to like map a theme and like do this and blah blah blah. You write a poem, you do like the same color, whatever. It's like sort of crazy. I um, write like in some ways the, the woman is the one sending it and she sends her husband and kids around, they're like the messengers and they're like going crazy with this bubby cart full of like a little red saran wrap like trying to give everything to the right person. Um, but I feel like that, that feeling of sort of like everybody running around bringing things from somebody else to somebody else is the feeling that you get from these texts as well, certainly on the idea of Mishlah of sending.